Greetings, and thank you for checking out this message from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. Now here is the message from Pastor Ben Johnson. Okay, so Lord, we, um, I, just, I come in agreement with what Pastor Steve is saying, and that there, there did seem to be something, seemed to be something tangible. There was something tangible in, in worship, and um, and we just thank you for that. And we, 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 I, I know, I believe that it's more to do with, with us positioning ourselves with that expectation more so than you increasing or decreasing because you, you're, you're the constant. You're the constant. And so, Father, we, we, we're believing to receive something from you further. Um, and we just, we want, we want to kind of prepare our hearts, our minds, our ears um, to just have this expectation of more um, and just silence any of the confusion um, any of the distractions so that we can just kind of fully engage with what your spirit is doing in this room today pray in Jesus name amen all right ready stand with me stand on up stand on up all right ready are you ready friends I am a child of God The Father loves me. The Father forgives me. The Father wants me. I am His, and He is mine. Therefore, my past won't haunt me. The future doesn't scare me. Because in His presence is where I live. Amen. All right. So today, friends, I have a poem for you. A poem. It's. Um, you ready? I have to, you know, kind of put on my, my, my poetry face here. I, I expect to hear some snaps out in the audience, right? So, so here it goes. I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Pumanchu and I loved deeper and I spoke sweeter and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying and he said someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were Dying. Danny Graham, you're welcome for that little country song reference. So today's message, friend, is entitled, To Live Like You Are Dying. To Live Like You Are Dying. Like, wow, great job, man. Wow, what a chipper title. Hey, you're welcome, friends. This is great. We all need to hear this. To Live Like You Are Dying. You know, um, uh, neighbor Ike over here, uh, he's, a, he's a funny redneck, self-proclaimed, self-identified redneck. And he, uh, he just, he'll just say, hey, don't take life too seriously. Nobody gets out alive. So um, <laughs> some good old redneck advice. Um, so, um, so today we are going to look at to what it means to, to live like you are dying. Um, so we're going to continue in 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to try to finish the chapter um, if all goes well, and so that Pastor Steve can pick up in chapter 2 and keep cruising on through Second Peter. Um, so I hope uh, maybe you did have some coffee today, um, or uh, maybe you just, you're just feeling extra chipper. It was nice to see Nathan Hartman early for donuts this morning. I'm like, Nathan, it's not even 10 o'clock and you're here? That's impressive. It was like 9.45 and he was working on his <coughs> second donut, and... Um, um, so I'm hoping you guys are just doing swell today. So here in this, uh, in this book, Second Peter, you know, we, we can surmise that Peter would be in his 70s, and, and so the, and he knows, and we're going to get into it, he knows that he's in his latter days, the, the latter days of, of his life. Um, and so what we have here in Second Peter is essentially his, his, his self-authored, uh, epitaph. It's, it's, his, it's his statement, it's his opus 
of sorts, his, his work that he's wanting to leave behind that is the defining thing for his, his life and his ministry, right? So, um, and there, there, as we read through these verses, you can almost catch this sense of urgency in his words, a sense of urgency, and, and, and Peter's heart for discipleship. And so what, what I hope we can glean from this epitaph today is how to live a life of intentional discipleship down to the last breath. Down to the last breath. All right? Are you with me? All right. So we're going we're gonna to read these verses 12 through 21, and then we'll jump back into 12 and kind of go through it a little bit. So uh, it should be on the screen here in a second. And so you can read along, whether on the screen or on your phone or in your Bible. Um, so here we go. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder. Since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me, and I will, make, and I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. Verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came from the majestic glory saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, above all, you know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, friends. Our first point today, the first thing that we're going to focus on, my first main point is grow disciples in life and in death. Grow disciples in life and death. Okay, so I'm going to kind of reread, as I kind of read a large chunk there, I'm going to reread just a few verses here in 12. Therefore, I'll always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. I think it is right as long as I am in the bot this bodily tent to wake you up with a reminder, since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me, and I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. Grow disciples in life and in death. So Paul refers to his physical body as a tent. Right? He's, he's saying that, you know, we're, we, it's referred to we're just being pilgrims here. We're just passing through. That our, our true home is an eternity, right? You with me? That, that Jesus, Jesus said that, you know, he had to go away so he could build, build a room for us. Right? He's building, he's building a place for us in eternity, in heaven, with him. So we're just here passing through. Life is but a, but a breath. So he's referring to his physical body that, that, that the Lord had re already revealed to him. Now there were probably also, beyond the revelation from, from the Lord, there's probably also just the reality that his eyes were open to the persecution around him. And, and, and he... He would not be the first martyr, nor the last. So he, there was, there was and, and inevitably there was some things, eventually it's going to come knocking, right? But he specifically said that the Lord revealed to him. The Lord revealed to him. And so he's like, I'm going to be laying this tent aside. I'll be leaving it. So here he knows that death is approaching. And what is he doing in his last days? Is he, is he sipping a mojito on the beach in the sun, and, you know, in the shade, and just like basking in it, living out the golden days? What, what, is, what, is, he, what is he doing in his last days? 
He's investing himself. He's intentionally taking time to write to people. No, they didn't have Zoom back then. You know, they didn't have Zoom. So, what, so he's, he's intentionally putting pen to paper or ink to paper, whatever they were using, papyrus, who knows, right? Putting these letters in place so that it could be sent to the churches so that in his last days, he's pouring out, raising up leaders, raising up disciples in the early church. That's how he's spending his last days. So now, is, is he sharing some mind-blowing new revelation? No. No, he's not. He's not really sharing mind-blowing revelation. In fact, he says repeatedly that he's, he's reminding them of things that they likely already know, have already heard, already been established in. I think that's interesting. And I think it also kind of maybe... It's good for me to hear because sometimes as a pastor and, you know, preparing messages, maybe some of you, maybe you've ever provide, uh, tried to do devotions, whether with groups or even just in your household, you're like, man, I, I, I feel like I'm rehashing things that other people have already rehashed. I mean, how can I repackage something that's already been redone, like already been done over and over again? You know, you know, and, you know if you've ever, you know, I imagine a good chunk of people have read through the whole Bible. So I'm like, I'm covering passages that you've already read. And it's, it's likely that you've, already heard some of these principles already. And yet he, he is boldly not hiding. He's saying, I'm reminding you of things that you've already heard. And I think that's interesting. Why, why would he do that? Ever think about how many times it takes us to hear something before it actually gets ingrained in us? You know, I, I, I looked it up, and, and, and they, they say, I'm not sure who, who counted, but they say it takes about a thousand times for a baby to learn a word. Anybody count? Anybody? I didn't. They say, I don't know who they are, but they sure say a lot. Um, they say it takes about a thousand times. You know, and I, I don't know if anybody, you, you can relate to this. This may, may not be a good thing to admit, but... You know, when I had one of my kids in my arms, when they were just little, 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 what was I saying to them most of the time? I was wanting to learn a word, but also I wanted bragging rights. I was hoping that, you know, if I got to a thousand first, that, you know, that baby's first word would be dada, right? I wanted some bragging rights. Maybe a little selfish, I'll admit it. But I, want, I just wanted that, right? You know, they, they, say, they say that, you know, for toddlers, it takes about 50 times. You know, Thaddeus is, is, you know, would be in the toddler range now, and he's, his vocabulary is growing a little bit. You know, how many times did it get to the point where he could actually verbally say, thank you, or please, or please, right? And not, not just the, like, the baby sign language, please, or more, you know, like, you know, it wasn't no, where he could actually, now how many times did we have to have to say it over and over and over again? Now, thank goodness, adults, we today, we just hear it once and we're golden, right? They say it takes seven times for us to repetitively go over something to where it kind of goes a little bit closer to the long-term memory. And I don't even think that would necessarily be going from like just head knowledge to heart knowledge. You know what I'm saying? That, that's just what they believe it takes for, for someone to kind of like retain information. It's a, it takes seven times. So we need repetition in discipleship for ourselves and also in what we're, we're pouring out in others. We need repetition, and, and, and here Peter is, is specifically declaring it in his message, unabashedly, like he's just unashamedly, I am, I am repeating this over and over for you. Not just because that's how long it, it takes over and over and over again, but he knows that he's not the only one proclaiming things to them. That he is, he is com a competing voice in, in the midst of a culture that is saying things that are counter to truth counter to scripture and how many times does culture chatter 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 with with their alternative truth with their their narrative with their lies how many how many times is it being repeated over and over and over and over and over again 
What are the lies? What are the lies that our culture today, like a broken record, is throwing at you and me? Or maybe not even you and me, maybe we should be thinking, what, what, what are they throwing at those that have, are still in the midst of building some of their core foundations, the youth? What are the lies that they are repeatedly, repeatedly throwing at them, throwing at them? You know, it used to be that, that you wouldn't have to worry about cartoons as much. I mean, sure, maybe some violence or something, you know, some of that superhero violence type stuff, whatever. I know some people. But for the most parts, it was the battleground were the sitcoms, right? Where they would always insert one character that whether it was known or maybe just assumed that they were living an alternative lifestyle, with cartoons today, and not, not just like cartoons geared for teenagers, but car- cartoons geared for preschoolers, many of them, many of them have specific characters inserted for that very purpose. We have to be intentional to be repetitive. We have to keep We may feel like a broken record, but so be it. We have to be speaking the truth. You know, uh, um, recently I had a conversation with Xander. He's in junior high. Wow. Yeah. And um, so we're having a conversation, and there's some different dynamics going on, and he's learning about junior high. And and I'm, I'm just talking to him, you know, junior high is rough. For many reasons. Junior high can be really rough of all the changes and dynamics going on, but, but I'm like, but, you know, everyone's trying to figure out their identity. You know where his brain went to when I said identity? It wasn't what I assumed it meant when I was in junior high. Because when I was in junior high, everyone was trying to figure out their identity from the aspects of what social group do I fit in? What are some of the passions that I get to pursue? What are some classes that I want to take? What are extracurriculars I want to be a part of? You know, like, how do I fit in? How do I relate? How do I connect? How do I not be so socially awkward? And then there was this whole lot of stuff that was never even a question because biology defined it. And so it's not that it's, it's, a, it's a new attack, it's just an expanded attack. The, the things that were in this category of like, you don't question it. It's biology. It's fact. It just is. And so it's been removed from this category of fact, and now it's a journey of discovery, of finding identity. Is it a new attack? No, it's the same attack. It's just been expanded. You know what I'm saying? Identity has always been the, at the core of all of this stuff. Right? How many times do we have to be told that we're a son and daughter of God, right? And that we're no longer orphans. Identity. How many times do we, does it take to, to, hear, to hear the truth that God is the provider? And we don't have to fret about this stuff. It's his identity and our identity in relation to him. Identity. Discipleship. And Peter, he uses his word that, that he's going to awaken us with this reminder. Awaken us. What happens when culture harp on the same idea over and over and over and over, there can almost be a numbing effect. And things that were seemingly so clear, it feels like, well, it was clear, but now it's kind of muddy. It was black and white, but now it's kind of gray. 
Now, admittedly, the church in the past, and, and, and it inevitably still has, created things that didn't have to be black and white, and we made it black and white. Some religious dynamics, you know what I'm saying? The easiest thing that we can kind of point at as an example would be alcohol. And some churches have taken like such lengths that they changed the story to from changing the water into wine to water into grape juice, right? Because it's like, uh, how do we deal with this? What do we do with this? Oh, let's just make it grape juice. Okay. They take an inanimate object and they make it something black and white. Okay. But on the other hand, there are things that are undeniably in Scripture that are black and white. It's like, don't be mad at me. It's what the Bible says. It is black and white, but the way culture beats at it and beats at it and beats at it, it gets a little foggier. It goes a little bit gray. And today we have churches all across this nation that are making, taking votes on whether or not they're going to believe what the Bible says is true. We're not taking a vote, but is there anything in our lives that the Word of God clearly says is black and white? That we've been lulled into a sleep and we need to be awakened with a reminder. Do you hear me? Okay. So here we see Peter's bucket list. But this list is all about discipleship. Now, we don't know. Maybe, maybe Peter did ride a bull named Fu Manchu. We don't know. I mean, we don't know what he did with some of his free time, right? But uh, from what we can see in his heartbeat of discipleship, we can surmise that if he was riding a bull named Fu Manchu, discipleship was on his mind. Not the discipleship of the bull, but it was an opportunity for discipleship. We talk about bucket lists in our culture, and, and I think they're a fun discussion. But sometimes it, it becomes that the experience is the end game. It's the end goal. It's all about the experience. It's the pursuit of the experience. And I'm not saying experiences are bad, but all I'm saying the Great Commission did not say go into all the world and have experiences. Is it go into all the world and make disciples? So there's nothing wrong with having a pretty epic, awesome bucket list, but let's use it as the platform, as the opportunity for discipleship. You know, want to go skydiving? Do it. Awesome. I went skydiving. I was in Colorado, and it was my last year of internship, and it was, a, it was one of the grand finales of the year, and it was Joe Couch's idea which, go figure. And, and, and so he was like, let's, let's really go out with a bang. And, and let's not just do it for the sake of, of, of skydiving, but like there was a whole week that was full of things. And we were revisiting all the, the mile markers of the year and, and revisiting all the, the core themes and ideas of, 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 of the things that was transformational. Because we were on the verge of sending them out into the world. And so we wanted to like, Let's remind ourselves of all the truths that were poured into us this year. And as you launch out of that plane, it's as if you're launching out in life. And remember what God is going to do for you. And believe in the big things. And, and, and have courage. And, and, and do, the, do the things that you wouldn't normally do. And, you know, and all, all this, it, was, it, was, it was a metaphor for something bigger. So I was happy to go along, and someone else was paying for it. It was awesome. And we spent a long day at that airfield as we were waiting for people to go two by two, two by two, two by two. But that whole day, we were spending life with each other. And you know, one of my highlights of that day, it wasn't that drop on the, in the parachute. It was relatively brief. My highlight from that day was Jimmy Jones, James Warren Jones III. He was a second year, I was a third year, and he was in my, my discipleship accountability group, and I knew a lot about this guy's life. I knew what made him tick. I knew 
the internal struggles. And he had a lot of them. I knew the internal insecurities. And so he was slated to go with somebody else and they were getting ready to go and he's like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Like, all right, time out, time out, Jimmy. What's going on? Talk to me, what's going on here? Like, I just can't, I just, I just can't do it. So we talked about it. I'm like, hey, will you do it if, I, if I'm there with you? So they readjusted the rotation of who was going with who. And we were one of the last ones to go the whole time. I'm like just trying to speak, hey, these fears don't define you. These lies don't define you. This is who God says you are. And as we're getting on that plane, as we're, we're ascending and it, we're locking eyes, was there still fear in him? Oh, heck yeah, there was. You'd be foolish not to have some level of fear jumping out of a plane. There's a whole lot of logic that goes against that. But as he jumped out of that plane, he was strapped to somebody else, obviously. As he jumped out of that plane, that was a huge, momentous moment for him. Experiences are amazing, but be mindful of the opportunities to, to dig for the gold of the discipleship opportunities that are in the midst of the experiences. Is discipleship a central part of, of your life? You know, no matter what season of life you're in, in this season, or, you know, it may be... May be Winter season is a, a long ways off, or maybe it's, a, it's, it's on your doorstep. Maybe you're in the middle of the, like, the winter season of your life. It doesn't matter. No matter what season you're in, discipleship should be that drumbeat. It should be the drumbeat of, of when we wake up in the morning, we go to bed at night. It's that drumbeat beating inside our chest. It's discipleship of ourselves and others. Discipleship. Romans 14.8 says, If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. Our lives are spent trying to fulfill the greats. The great commandments. The greatest one being love Lord God of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, Right? The second greatest, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others, greats. And then the third great being the Great Commission. Making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all my commands, and surely I'll be with you at the very end of the age. All right, I've shared the story before about a missionary named Danny Aust. He was a missionary, pioneer, church planner in, uh, in, in Mexico. And I, I think it's feel like it's been long enough I can share it again and you're welcome otherwise um, so he pioneered many different ministries in Mexico and they weren't even planning on going to Mexico they were actually planning on going to like Indonesia or some other place but um, Lord the Lord called them there and, and so so that what did they do they're like well they they started a radio radio ministry and it, it spread all across Latin America and uh, they started a um, a seminary which you know Cleet and I had an opportunity to be there I think at least once if not twice um, a seminary for raising up church leaders. They started the, um, what I believe is still the largest network of churches in Mexico, uh, Centers of Faith, Hope, and Love. And, and he spent all of his life devoting to discipling people, raising up churches, raising up leaders, pouring his life into people. And and his kids and his grandkids are like all around the world doing ministry and it's amazing. I, I, I know a few of them. When he died, his, his desire was not to be buried in the U.S. where he was from. It was to be buried in Mexico. In one of the, in one of the largest cemeteries in Mexico City where he did most of his ministry. And it was, it was not to... Uh, be buried amongst the elites or the, 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 the notable people. It was to be buried amongst the people that he spent most of his life doing ministry to, the people that were more poor. 
And, and, and you come into the graveyard, the cemetery there, and, and from a long ways off, you can see his, his, his 20-foot-tall Red Cross headstone. And, and, and on this cross, what, what do you think? It says, like, here lies a great man who did lots of good things for the Lord and will be missed by all. No, it doesn't say that. You know, um, Glenn and Betty were sharing about a funeral they went to where it was like an hour and a half or something that was spent just talking about this individual's life deeds. And then there was a little side note, clip note of Jesus. Hour and a half talking about someone's life. And, and it's not necessarily, necessarily wrong with that and as long as that life is pointing to Jesus. Danny Ost 20-foot red cross it says only Jesus saves in Spanish and there's a phone number for a local church that, that speaks to me deeply I've seen it with my own eyes this cross it speaks to me deeply that a man was so committed in life and in death growing disciples Discipleship is imperative. What opportunities do I have already to make disciples, to help people go one step closer to Jesus? One step closer to Jesus. All right, let's move on. Let's go to Luke, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. So it says, For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came from the majestic glory saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. Whenever you read scripture, I think especially epistles, it's valuable to really just kind of process through why was this in here? Why did, why did they include this? You know, there's, there's some challenging passages in, uh, written in epistles where it's like, uh, head coverings for ladies? What, what, you know, what, what, what's going on? What, is, what was being addressed? What was the cultural thing happening here? What, why, did he, why did he include this? Why did he feel compelled in his epitaph to include this? Because he was... A, writing to an early church that was in the midst of a culture that had plenty of critics, skeptics, and antagonists. Not too dissimilar from today. They had lies infiltrating the church through the Gnostics, certain heresies, People that were begging, like kind of begging the question of why would you put your faith in Jesus? Where is the proof? Why are you still believing he's going to return after all this time? Or simply just undermining the reality of the supernatural. So here we see in these verses three types of evidences. Uh, the third one we'll get to in a little bit, but the first two we'll talk about right here. Is, uh, since my second main point. You ready? Second main point. Can I get a witness? Peter testifies to what he and others. So in the previous verses before this, it was I. Talking about himself, right? Here he changes from I to we, and he's talking about himself and other apostles, and specifically James and John, because he's referencing, he's re referencing the story of being on the Mount of Transfiguration. You with me? So he's referencing that. He's like, I was there. I saw with my own two eyes along with James and John. I was up on that mountain when, when Jesus was transformed before my eyes into the full glory. And, and, hey, and then on top of it all, here's Moses and Elijah. That's crazy. I saw with my own two eyes. And then that wasn't enough. I heard with my own ears God speaking from heaven. Here's my son. It's hard to argue with an eyewitness account. It's hard to argue 
This is huge. This is huge 2,000 years ago for the early church, and it's still huge today. These, these, these eyewitness accounts that we've been blessed with through the writings of the apostles, we're hugely blessed by this because, I mean, they could have just experienced it and it's clammed up, hid it away in their heart, talked about it with their grandkids on their deathbed, and that was it. Is that what they did, though? They didn't. They shared it near and far. They spread it face-to-face through their disciples, through their letters. If you remember earlier, he, what, did, what did Peter say in verse 15? And I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. Thanks, Peter. We have access to the first-hand accounts of the supernatural life and ministry of Jesus. Praise God, Peter and the other apostles didn't keep their mouths shut and lived like they were dying and made sure there are written accounts for us to hold on to. Now, us as believers, we can follow in their footsteps. And instead of keeping our mouths shut, we get to testify. Can I get a witness? We get to testify not only that the ministry of Jesus we get to share the testimonies of these eyewitness accounts from the apostles but not only that because because the ministry of Jesus did not die on that cross the ministry of Jesus did not go with him up to heaven The ministry of Jesus is where? It's in us and through us. We are carrying on the ministry of Jesus. And so the apostles, they got to witness it with their eyes. And they got to carry it on. And here we are, 2,000 years later, we're still getting to carry it on, living on the ministry and the work, the authority, the power of what Jesus had while he walked this earth. In his, under his authority, under his power. So don't just testify what the apostles witnessed. Testify of your first-hand accounts of the supernatural, of what you have seen and heard. Of, of your testimonies, of, of times of that you've had words for people and it was confirmed, of, of, of all the things that you have seen and heard, even, even if you've heard someone like a Leif Hetland or, or a fill-in-the-blank other person who they're sharing a testimony or you're seeing them do ministry, you witnessed it. You witnessed it. And it's time we need to be intentional to testify. Testify of the freedom, the transformation, the healing, the peace, the redemption, the joy, the supernatural that you have witnessed firsthand yourself and experienced firsthand yourself. Okay. Third piece of evidence, the fulfilled prophecies. You know, there's, there's an element to those first two. The, the seeing and the hearing is a little bit subjective. You put anybody in a room, a group of people in a room, and they witness one thing, and, and they will give varying accounts and depending on the emotions, depending on their perspective, and depending on past experiences, they might give some varying accounts. I'm not saying that they would be false, but I'm saying there's some level of subjectivity to it. Fulfilled prophecy is not subjective. If someone declares that something will happen, you test it. You test it. Right? Does it come to pass? Verse 19 through 21. We have also the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, man, men spoke 
from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Xander, I'm going to need you in a second. So the third point today, third point, is we need to cling on to the light. You're welcome, Trekkies. You need to cling on to the light. If there's any people that's like, what is going on here? Older generation, maybe you explain to some of the younger generation, or you maybe you need to widen the horizon of your kids. You know, do a short stop here on your way to Star Wars. I mean, <clears throat> anyway, you need to cling on to the light. You need to cling on to the light. So here he's, he's talking about that prophecy, prophecy is this light that we hold fast to, that we, we hold on to. He, he, referenced, he referenced the first two. Xander, you can make that go away. He referenced the, the first two as, as, as these, are, these are viable experiences. They're, they're, they're good things. Eyewitness accounts is golden. But there's, there's almost greater value in fulfilled prophecies. In the Old Testament, there's, you know, it, it's, it's hard to find a completely exact number, but there are well over 400 prophecies that speak, that speak of, that speak of the coming Messiah, the coming Savior of the world. You know, they've, I've seen numbers even over 500. But so there's all these verses that speak of that. And of those prophecies that are, that are written like hundreds of years before Jesus was born, conservatively, conservatively, it can be said that he fulfilled at least 300 of them. At least 300 of them. All right? So Peter is discipling the early church believers to cling on to the prophecies Skeptics and critics will say what they want to say, but no one can deny that Je what Jesus has done. We know he is who he says he is based upon eyewitness, eyewitness testimony, fulfillment of, pro of prophecy, Jesus being born supernaturally of a virgin, lived a perfect life, performed countless miracles as evidence for being the Son of God, was unjustly murdered on the cross, but rose from the dead three days later so that we may all have the opportunity to surrender our lives to him and be adopted into the family of God. And as believers today, we are filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to continue the message of the supernatural work of Jesus. So we cling on to the prophecies of the Bible along with discerning the prophecies of today, keeping our eyes on the task of making disciples keeping one eye on the task of making disciples while the other eye is on the task of looking to, to the skies with the expectation in our hearts. I think it's, I think I love the, the imagery here of, of uh, holding on, holding on to these prophecies of the lamp, lamp shining in a dark place you know, I'm not going to say that the world's going to get better. I'm not going to say it's going to get worse. I think it's probably safe to say that certain elements are going to get worse. And we might see some glimmers of hope along the way. I think some of this Roe v. Wade stuff is kind of a glimmer of hope. But I don't think the battle's over. On that, it's, not, it's not said and done. The states are going to do what states are going to do. And people are going to do what they're going to do. I mean, there's, there's glimmer of hope. But the enemy is going to keep doing what he's doing. So as, as the world might seem to get dark, before darker as the days go on, and as, as we're, we're waiting for the, the morning of the, the sun to rise, of, of the, the second coming of Jesus Christ, we're here now holding on to prophecies. Holding on to the promise. Like he's already fulfilled 300-ish prophecies, but maybe there's 150 more to come 
So here we are, we're holding on. Hey, uh, Levi, go ahead, uh, black out the lights for me real quick. So here we are. We're in the midst of a world that seems to be getting dimmer and dimmer. My experience is the darker that world gets, or the darker that night gets, I tend to hold a light a little bit harder, <laughs> a little bit closer. And my experience of living out in, in, in uh, villages without electricity is the value of a flashlight goes up exponentially. As there seems to be less and less and less light in my surroundings, ooh, I feel a lot more secure holding this in my hands. I feel, I feel like I can hold on a little bit longer. I feel like I can see what's going on in the shadows. I feel like I can re- bring revelation to things that seem to be darkened. We cling on to the light. We hold fast to the prophecies. We can easily be discouraged because it's been over 2,000 years. What's going on? But we, we're told one thing that we won't know, the when. But what we do know is that there's still, let's say, 150 prophecies waiting to be fulfilled. And there's 300 that give plenty of credibility that if he can do 300, 150 is nothing. So we cling on to the light. We hold fast on to the light. What prophecies, Old Testament prophecies, do you have in your heart that on those dark days you can hold on to, you can be reminded of? What unfulfilled prophecies are you holding in your hearts so you can keep your eye open for? If we know what we're looking for, maybe it'll be more evident to us. can bring the lights up. True prophecies, as Peter says, are not manufactured. They're not, they're not myths. They're not made by humans. True prophecy it says, Peter says, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And there's, there's an imagery here that we may not naturally get, but I, I think you'll connect to it once I kind of explain it. That it, it said, it's, it's, it's being said as if a prophet is someone who raises their sails and the wind of the Holy Spirit directs them where he wants to take them. Raising their sails and allowing the Holy Spirit to take them where He wants. That, in essence, is a prophetic word. I know it's very simplistic, and we're not getting deep into prophecy right now. I'm not. I'm just saying that. That true prophecy is something that's not from man. It's not man-made. It's not manufactured. So in, in addition, I, I want to ask this question of you. In, in addition to what Old Testament fulfilled prophecies are you holding on to? And maybe what prof, unfulfilled prophecies are you keeping your eyes open for? Are you willing to raise your sail? To allow the Holy Spirit to lead you with his words, to say what he wants you to say. But Ben, I'm not a prophet. We're not talking about the office of prophet. We're just simply talking about opening your mouth and raising your sail and letting the word of the Lord coming through you. Many of you have been equipped. Are you making use of it? Are you intentionally raising your sail?
And it was Paul talking about the order of, of, of church and, and that he's like, hey, tongues are great. Speaking in tongues, cool, awesome. He's like, I do it more than all, all of y'all combined. But the, a greater value to the body is prophecy. So here we are. How do we live like we are dying? We live discipleship to the last breath. We testify of what the apostles witnessed, but also our firsthand accounts of what we have seen, heard, and experienced God doing in and through us. And we cling on to the light of prophecy, even tighter as the world seems to get darker around us. We're not afraid to be repetitive in the truth that we proclaim. We're intentional in how we live, not, not just chasing experiences, but using experiences as an opportunity to pull out the gold out of people, to speak truth into people, to disciple them, to draw them one step closer to Jesus. That is how we live like we are dying. Three closing questions. What got your attention today? What got your attention? Second question. What is God saying to you? And finally, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? He's gotten your attention. He's saying something to you. What are you going to do about it? Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife at aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.